Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. James chapter number one, and we're going to start off verse number one, the verse number three, James chapter one this morning for our brand new study, walking our way through James, the book of James. And we're going to go all five chapters here with the Lord's help over the next uh, few weeks and few months. James chapter number one. I've got a, I've got a tool belt here. How many of you, recu- you, you, you easily identified this as a tool belt? Let me see. Okay, I'm just making sure. I've got to know my crowd here, okay? And, uh, you know, in this tool belt, you've got, you got a couple things. Got a, got a nice hammer. Look at that. Nice hammer. And uh, also got, let's see here. Got a screwdriver right here. Phillips head. I'm showing how much information I know about tools. Not the flat head because that's on this side, okay? And uh, so Phillips head right here, got there. Got a, got a couple wrenches in here. Got a nice little wire brush. I'm not for sure why that's included in there, but maybe you need that on your way out to here today. Okay, got a level. Got a little level right here. Make sure, make sure everything's good. You know, oftentimes if you, uh, if you give a, a construction worker a tool belt like this, he, he needs to make sure he has the, uh, the proper tools. And one of the things that God's word does for us is God's word equips us to be able to complete the work that God has given us to do in this life. You know, if you, if you have a, a large tool belt like this and, and all you have in it is, is just a hammer. You don't have a screwdriver, you don't have a tape measure, you don't have a, you don't have a level. Then, then how many of you know there's, there's only a certain amount of work that can be done with a hammer? You, you can really only do one thing with a hammer, right? And this just pound away at the nails. That's, that's, about, that's about all you can really accomplish. But if, but if you have a, if you have a belt full of all the proper tools, then the work is much easier to be completed. We're going to talk in the book of James about the, the work that, that God has for us each to do. And we're going to see from James how God puts tools in our belt in order to help us navigate the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in in this life. God wants to do a work in you. That's what I want you to know. God wants to do a work in you. But for many of us, we have only the hammer in the belt of our Christian life. We don't have all of the necessary tools that we need. And so we're going to see from James how God equips us to handle the good days, how God equips us to handle the bad days. We're going to see from the book of James over the course of the next few months how how God equips us for the mountaintops and how God equips us in the valleys. We're also going to see from the book of James how God equips us when relationships that we have in this life are going great and good. But he also equips us on how to navigate relationships of our life that aren't going so great and things aren't going so good. 
And the book of James is tools in the tool belt. That's how I, that's how I want you to think of, uh, of the next several weeks in our study. These are tools that you and I need in order to complete the work that God has for us. And here is why this is so important. Because I know that for many of you, life right now is very difficult. Relationships are strained. Trust is eroded. It seems to be that suspicion is the default mode of most people's heart. And so a, a slow walk through the book of James as our preaching and teaching method is here at First Baptist Church, to go next chapter, do you remember? Next verse. Right through God's word together will equip us with the tools that are necessary. So, so let's begin here. Verse number one of the book of James. James 1, verse 1. Look with me. James, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we're even into the letter, we see how James identifies himself. James identifies himself, notice in the verse, a servant of God. Now I, I think about all the ways that James could have introduced himself. Let me give you a, a little bit of background on James, the, the author of this letter. Did you know that James here is the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ? When you talk about name dropping, that is the ultimate name dropping moment right there. You know, when anybody comes around a celebrity, if we see people who are famous, we love to tell everybody about it. James here is the brother of Jesus. And instead of beginning with, I'm James, the brother of the Savior of the world. He begins by saying, James, a servant. It's not just that James was the brother of Jesus. You know, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul writes about James and he says of James that James was a pillar of the church. James was a pillar for the church. I don't know about you, but if I were introducing myself for the first time to someone, you always lead with your best foot forward, right? Why not start off at the top? Hi, I'm James, the brother of the Savior of the world, also and otherwise known as the pillar of the church, according to the Apostle Paul. Now, James doesn't say that. Now, James introduces himself with, hi. I'm James, a servant, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ever wonder why James begins his letter like that? You, you probably know the answer. The, the answer is because for James, the wonder of his relationship with Jesus did not lie in the fact that they were brothers they shared the same earthly mother. The wonder of the relationship with Jesus that James had was not a natural relationship. It was a supernatural relationship. 
The miracle for James is not that he was the half-brother of Jesus. The miracle for James was that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and provided salvation to not just James, but to all those that would believe on him. And we all go through difficult seasons in our life. We all have struggles. We all have trials. We all face difficulties. Yours may be different from mine, but we all face them just the same. And when we do, one of the tools that God puts in our tool belt is first this. And I want you to write this down as your first point, that we need to realize who Jesus is. When we face hard times, we need to remember who Jesus is. And we need to remember what Jesus has done for us. The interesting thing about James is that James, according to the book of John and according to the book of Mark, that James did not always believe that Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, Mark tells us of one event in particular where Jesus had gone into the home. He was performing miracles. He was teaching. He was teaching all things concerning the kingdom. And he was saying that he would bring the kingdom about. Word got back to James and his other brothers and his mother and his family. And they went down to the house, the Bible tells us. And they went into the house in order to get Jesus out because they... They, they reasoned that Jesus must be going crazy to say these sorts of things. They thought that Jesus had lost his mind. John teaches us a similar lesson in that all kinds of people were coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. They were believing in him as the Messiah. And yet the people who lived right next door to Jesus did not believe him. Make a note of this on the first point. God knows everything there is to know about you. And sometimes the people who are closest to you do not have the best perspective of you. This is how it was for Jesus. Jesus' family loved him. But Jesus' family thought he lost his mind. And when people around us don't, don't have the best perspective of us, it, it does ourselves good to remind us that God, God knows us fully. So when we feel tempted, when we go through difficulty to think, no one understands me. No one gets it. No one understands the difficulty I'm facing. No one understands the depth of depression or anxiety that I'm feeling. No one understands the stress that I'm in. It's good to remind ourselves that while those closest to us may not have the best perspective of us, God knows you fully. You know, the Bible teaches us that God knows you better than you know yourself. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, but think of it. The Bible says that God has every hair on your head numbered. Now, for some of you, that's very easy because that's a grand total of zero, okay? But for others, do you know how many hairs you have on your head? No, you don't. A, a, a lot. Maybe, maybe fewer than you used to. That God has every hair numbered. 
God knows you better than you know yourself, which is why we say God knows us fully. And when you're going through difficulty, the temptation is no one understands this. No one gets me. And in one sense, that's true. No one is you and no one is experiencing what you are experiencing the way you are experiencing it. People may have similar experiences, but none of us have the same experience because none of us are the same. But the reminder from the scripture is God knows everything there is to know about you. And so when we are tempted to say, as we go through struggles and seasons in our life, we're tempted to say, no one gets me. No one understands me. I can't, understand, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor over the last 14 years I've had someone say to me, no one gets me. No one understands how bad it hurts. And I always want to respond to that by saying, well, well, in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, what you should say is no one understands it except Jesus Christ. Jesus understands. Jesus gets. Jesus gets it. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was in all points tempted like we are, yet he was without sin. We can take all our cares and our burdens and our struggles and our fears and our worries and our stress and we can throw it on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus cares for you. When we go through difficulty, we need to realize who Jesus is. Listen, friend, Jesus cares for you. Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. And the Bible says that Jesus loves us anyway. Realize who Jesus is. He, he knows everything there is to know about us. But, but I want you all to understand this. Secondly, under this first point, not just that God knows everything there is to know about us, but God has provided salvation for us. That's what James says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for James and for his brothers who did not believe on the Lord Jesus, who thought that Jesus had lost his mind, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus rose from the dead, Paul records for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that one of the resurrection appearances so one of the people that Jesus showed himself alive to after he rose from the dead was specifically to James. That after Jesus rose from the dead, he written, revealed himself, 1 Corinthians 15, he reveals himself to James. He puts all the pieces together for James in his mind. He says, remember what I taught. Remember how I live. Now look at what I have done. And the Bible says that James has put his faith and trust in him after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So much so that when you fast forward church history and you get to Acts chapter 15, James is the leader of the council of Jerusalem. So they're all discussing what they should or shouldn't do for the church. Everybody's offering their opinion. And then James steps forward and says, here's the decision that we will make. 
And James goes from an unbelieving brother to a believer as a result of having seen Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. And that takes James all the way forward to where James is a leader in the church. And then John Fox in his book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, records for us that James surrenders his life to a martyr's death. Why? Because of his faith in Jesus. You see, something happened in James. And James came to realize that Jesus wasn't simply his older brother, but Jesus was the only way to God. And James put his faith and trust in Jesus. And all through, look here, all through this book, you're going to see over the next several months, James is calling you and he's calling me to this simple reality. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. That when you and I put our faith in Christ, James says in chapter 2, verse 5, we become inheritors of the kingdom. We inherit the kingdom when we put our faith in Jesus. You want to be an heir to the kingdom of God? Put your faith and trust in Jesus. You want to receive the crown of life? Put your faith and trust in Jesus. You want to have a joy that's steadfast and sure, regardless of whatever storms you find yourself in? Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That if you put your faith in Jesus, your faith is never misplaced. Your faith is never misplaced when your faith is put in Jesus. We've all lived long enough. We've experienced enough things in this life to have had a moment where we put our faith and our trust in a particular person who said that they were going to do a particular thing. And then they let us down. We've all had seasons in our life where we've misplaced our faith, where we've misplaced our trust. But listen very closely on the authority of God's word. Your faith is never misplaced when your faith is placed in Jesus Christ. Notice what James says here about Jesus. He says, James, a servant of God and of, and he gives three titles, three designations of who Jesus is. Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. These designations are really teaching us something about the identity of Jesus. He calls him first the Lord. Look at it. The Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, this title, the, the Lord, it, it refers to someone who has absolute ownership rights. How, how many siblings would say that about their other sibling? Our, our little girls, when they're arguing over something, they never say, it's hers. You know what they always say? You guessed it. It's mine. And where did they learn that? From their mother. We do the same thing. It's mine. It's mine. Here's what James says. James says, oh, by the way, he's the Lord. It's his. This is something to remember when you're going through difficulties, when you're facing hardship, when you got the worst news of your whole life. Here's something to remember. It's all his. What? Know you not? That you're not your own? We're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, external, and in your spirit, internal. For they are his. 
Sometimes we think, okay, yeah, of course, I'm going, to, I'm going to honor and praise and worship the Lord internally, and I'm going to have the right kind of attitude inside that I should have. No, no, no. He doesn't just regulate it to your spirit. He doesn't just regulate it to your soul. He also says your body, so external, you are his. We belong to him. He owns it all. Whatever your physical health looks like in the new year, listen very closely, it's all his. Every relationship you have, it's his. Whatever your financial situation plays out like in 2023, listen, it's all his. It's all his. It all belongs to him. Why? Because he is the Lord. It's all his. Here's what James is helping us understand. It's all his. Why? Because he's God. And James makes a recognition about Jesus that many even in our world today fail to recognize. There are many in our world to say Jesus was a good teacher or Jesus was a good prophet or Jesus was a moral person. He taught some great principles that we should follow. James goes farther than all of that. James says he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. He is God in that he owns it all. I'm wondering for you this morning, have you recognized this about the Lord Jesus? Not just that he offers you good, sound advice for life, but that he is the Lord of your life. He controls it all. He doesn't just call him Lord. Notice he also says Lord. And then notice the next name he gives him, Jesus. Jesus. So God entered this world and he did so. Why? Why did God enter into the world? He entered into the world so that he might provide salvation for all of those who would believe on him. Paul says it this way, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So how did Jesus save us? And Jesus saves us by dying on the cross for us. That the one who ruled over it all laid down his own life in order to provide for us a way that we could be with God. He's Jesus. He's God providing salvation for us, but not just the Lord and not just Jesus, but the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the one who was promised from the very beginning. So the name Christ, it, 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 it means Messiah. So everything the Old Testament promised, fulfilled in this person named the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a designation of saying he is who God said he would send. He's the fulfillment of it all. He's God wrapped in the flesh. Listen, friend, when we, when we suffer, when we go through hard times, a tool in the tool belt is to remember, is to realize who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You say, well, why is that important to point out? Here's why. And Paul says it like this, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in us. Verse 31, that 
What shall we say to those things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God would send Jesus into the world to die on the cross for my sin as a demonstration of his love for me, then as I suffer, as I go through difficulties in this life, and we all do, it's not because God doesn't love me. You see, that's the temptation. The temptation when we suffer is to look at God and say, well, if you're Lord, if you're in charge of it all, if you're in control of it all, if you could have stopped it all, why didn't you stop this? You must not love me or you would have stopped this. No, friend, a tool in the tool belt for navigating difficult seasons is to remember who he is. No, God commendeth his love toward us. God proved his love to us when while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My kids hate going to the dentist. How many of you say amen and amen? <laughs> Any dentist in the room? I apologize. It's not against you personally. It's just against you professionally. Perhaps if you didn't have medieval tools, we would like you a little bit better. My kids hate going to the dentist. I'd take my kids to the dentist when they were younger. They'd come in kicking and screaming. Don't you love me? Yeah, I love you. Well, then why, why are you sending me back there? With drills and saws and tools. It's going to hurt. Why are you making me go with these strange people and lay there with my mouth wide open? Why are you doing this? Don't you love me? You don't love me. How many of you know? No, actually, the exact opposite is true. No, no, I do love my kids. So I take them to the dentist. Because I love them, I take them to the dentist. And so many times in our own lives, we're tempted to think, God, you must not love me because look what's happening in my life. And the message from James at the very beginning here is to say, no, 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 no. God loves you. He proved his love for you in that he was the ruler over it all. And he took on flesh and he humbled himself and became obedient to death and died on the cross for sinful men and women of which you and I are a part so that you and I did not have to be apart from God, but that we could know him. And if God would die on the cross for our sin, shall he not also do for us everything that's necessary to work in us what he once done for us. When we suffer, number one, we need to realize who Jesus is. When we suffer, write the second one down. We need to respond with humility. James, a servant. James, a servant. The most important thing about James is not that he was the brother of Christ, not that he was the leader of the church. The most important thing about James is that he was a servant of Christ. He deliberately uses the word servant. It quite literally is bond slave. A willing, permanent 
slave to Jesus. That's what he just said. Can you imagine identifying yourself as a servant to your older brother? Could you imagine identifying yourself as a servant to your older sister? As to any member in your family? Of course not. And yet that's what James does. Did you know that if you're a Christian, this is the biggest deal about you and me? You, you, you may be a carpenter, but more than that, we are servants to Jesus. You, you may be a teacher, but you're a servant teacher, a servant to Jesus. You may, you may be a mom, but you're a servant mom. You're a servant to Jesus. You, you may be a painter or a CEO. You, you may be a doctor. You may be a nurse. You may be a lawyer. But you're a servant first. Ultimately, this is the best piece on all of our resumes. We are servants to the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple things about servants. First, servants respond in humility. If we're going to be servants, we must be humble. Servants don't compete. They don't grandstand. They don't call for the limelight. Servants know their job. They know their limitations. They know their position. They do their job quietly. They do their job consistently. They do their job faithfully. They do their job loyally. Why? Because they're servants. So if we're going to be servants, then we must respond to the Lord, listen, with humility. I was visiting a family in the hospital some years back. Their child was ill and was bad ill. It was a, it was a difficult situation. I'd gone to the hospital late at night with one of our assistant pastors. They were very upset, the family was. They were upset because they were scared. They were hurting. And how many of you know hurting people hurt people? And that's what they did. When we get scared and we get hurt, our pride kicks in. We start to lash out at everyone around us because we think we know better for how our lives should be going. We think we know better on what everyone else should be doing. So they were angry, they were hurt, they were scared, they were lashing out. We were standing quietly in the room. We'd prayed already and in walked the doctor. The mom was very upset. The prayer didn't seem to really help. The mom asks the doctor, hey, it, I know you're trying to diagnose these other things, but can you check and see if they have a problem, if my child has a, a problem with their tonsils? The doctor goes, sure. He tells the little kid, just trying to be polite and kind. And he says, open up, and looks in the mouth. He says, everything is normal. And then the mom yells out and announces to everyone in the room, this doctor doesn't know what he's doing. We're all taken back. She says, my child had their tonsils taken out four years ago. This doctor doesn't know what he's doing. He starts yelling louder. I want a new doctor. You know why she responded like that? She didn't see herself as a servant. Servants respond in humility, not in pride, not in arrogance. Here's a man who's trying to help. Not a man who's God, but a man who's trying to ease pain and comfort. 
trying to treat and diagnose. And instead, in that moment, instead of having humility, she had pride. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James and the individuals he's writing this letter to are in difficult situation. You're going to see that in a couple of weeks. They're being persecuted. They are quite literally being hunted. They've lost their jobs. They've been ostracized from communities. Many of them have already died martyrs' deaths. James would go on to die that way. And here's what James says. You want to know how to handle hard times? You want to know what tools God puts in your belt for the worst day of your life? First, realize who Jesus is. Second, realize who you are. You're a servant. A servant of God. And it requires us to walk in humility as servants of Christ. Serving means putting the needs of others ahead of our own. Serving means putting the needs of the community ahead of individual needs. You know, our, our natural inclination in times of hurt is that we start asking, who's here to serve me? Our, our natural tendency in times of pain is to say, what are you going to do for me? That's not how servants think. Servants don't think, what are you going to do for me? Servants say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How do they have a grace in that moment to be able to put the needs of others ahead of their own selves? How do they have such grace? Because they're humble. God gives grace to the humble God resist the proud. We need to respond with humility when we face trials of this life. We need to follow the pattern of Jesus who did not come to be served, but, to came, but came to serve. The Bible says, and to give his life a ransom for many. But there's a second thought on this point about serving. And, and I think our assistant pastors are going to start making their way here forward uh, to, to give us some, some ways that we, that we can serve here. But, but servants, secondly, servants respond to opportunity. Servants respond to opportunity. So a servant isn't someone who just walks around with humility. That's obviously true. But a servant also responds to the opportunities that this servant has, which allow this person to be able to serve. This is one of the things we love doing on Vision Sundays, talking about ways that we can serve as a church. I want you men to make your way here to the platform. Ways that we can serve as a church. There's all kinds of ways that we can serve. There's all kinds of things that we, as God's people, can participate in to say, Lord, I'm just a servant. I don't have much, but use me. Use me in whatever way you want to use me. It lead me, guide me. I want to maintain a spirit of humility, but I want to be a servant for you. Not look to, not look to be served, but look to serve. So, uh, Mr. Valisteros, you going first? Here we go. For little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. 
And we're so thankful that that calling entails to the church with investing in and ministering to through FBC Kids Ministry. And the Lord has blessed our program and our ministry. Last Wednesday, through our bus routes, our FBC bus ministries, we were able to resume by picking up uh, children all throughout the city of Long Beach. Amen. And they were excited from a, a couple of weeks of break during the Christmas holidays. But uh, ever since we have transitioned from Sunday routes to Wednesday routes, we have seen a steady increase. Amen. I think the blessing of that is when our teenagers go out on Wednesdays in the afternoon, that's the same time as, our ch as children are walking home from school. That's the most opportunistic time to talk to the kids and then return back to pick them up for Amen. that Wednesday kids rally. Uh, in addition to our weekly programs of Sunday school, junior church, and Wednesday kids rally, we look forward to events such as our Easter extravaganza, vacation Bible schools, uh, as well as uh, summer camps. Uh, we teach our children, we invest in our children, and we encourage them to start serving the Lord. Just last month, we were able to take our children to go Christmas caroling to our widowers Amen. and our widows uh, of this church. One of the things that we are excited and looking forward to this year is greater things. And we will be incorporating our children as well. In just a few weeks, we will be giving our children church banks and teaching by faith to trust in the Lord, to be good stewards of the money that they have to save and what they earn. And as you are preparing also for Greater Things Offering, our children will be able to give alongside you on that blessed event. So that is FPC Kids Ministry and that we're, what we're looking forward to as we are serving the Lord this year being steadfast. Amen. Evan? That will be uh, going on with our teens this year. As we talked about just earlier in the service, our ski retreat is coming up quickly. And I do want to let you know, Mr. Ballesteros mentioned uh, that our bus routes have been doing so well since we switched to Wednesday. And on Wednesday night, we had six teenagers who came into the back of the teen service, and they sat, they listened well. Uh, two of them had raised their hand to indicate that they need to be saved, and Amen. we look forward to following up with them and speaking to them about that. But as I announced the ski retreat, uh, you could see they got excited, more excited than probably any, any other kids in the room. And I said at the end, uh, when I said the price, you could see their spirits fell a little bit. And I told them, well, if you have, need any help paying for this, or if you'd like to come, but you don't know if you have the resources, you could see me. And as soon as I dismissed the service, those five boys were right there at the front. And um, I want to ask that Amen. we will in the next couple weeks be able to take up an offering that you could designate towards the teens to go towards that, to help these kids and other children uh, who may not have the money or their family may not have the resources for them to go on the ski retreat. And it's not so we could take some kids who've never skied and they could go learn to ski. There's so much more than that. I left church that night thinking about what God could do in those boys' hearts in just a couple days, pulled away from the situation they live in, out of public school, with the people of God, here in preaching, and the impact that could be made in their lives in just a couple days. And I think that as a church... If those boys and others want to go and don't have a way to, that we could provide that funding, and it would be a blessing to them. As we look forward in the year with the team ministry, we're excited uh, that we'll be in June. We're going to do a three-on-three -three basketball tournament, and a pastor had the opportunity, I believe, last year to preach at one of these, and the emphasis for that is not that our kids here could play basketball, but it's an outreach opportunity where we could go into the city, go into schools, and invite people to get a team together to come. And we'll provide meals, we'll provide them a t-shirt and a place to have the tournament. 
Uh, but in the middle of that three-on-three tournament, we'll have a preaching service, and the gospel will be presented. It'll be Amen. a great chance to get people here on our campus. They'll see where we're at and know where we're at, but also to, to hear the gospel, to have a good time, and that's in June. Uh, there'll be op- plenty of opportunities to serve that day. It'll be on a Friday and Saturday as we all jump in to get the building ready and provide meals and keep track of brackets. There'll be tons of help that'll be needed for that. Uh, looking towards teen camp, uh, the church always is so great about participating in food sales and car washes and all the fundraisers we have going towards camp. But what I really want to ask for is throughout the year that you pray for our kids as uh, we go to teen camp. Amen. Um, that was such an impactful week in my life as a teenager and many of our teens who've been in years past. And I know that with God's help and, and your prayers, this year will be no different. Um, that just five, the same as the ski retreat, five days to step away. Uh, from the life that they have and their usual day in and day out and turn off the phone and get away from everything and have five days with God's people and constantly multiple sermons a day exposed to God's word. I know that that uh, teen camp will be a blessing to our youth and uh, if you'll pray for that even starting now as we work towards that at the end of June. Um, And then our summer book reading is also coming up. We did this for the first time this last year. And uh, the teens were not excited at first because (laughs) those three months of the year are the only time they're not required to read. And then here I am giving out a book that everyone has to read. And by the end of it, I think 17 or 18 kids finished the book. They finished a questionnaire every week. They were helped and grown. And then we got a rewards trip at the end of the summer. So we'll be doing that again as well as several events into the fall. But we really want to ask you to pray for those three things as well as especially I think of that three-on-three tournament will be a huge opportunity for our church family to come together, to be here, and to serve uh, those who will come onto our campus for those activities. Amen. Derek? Well, 2022 was an awesome year with our adult ministries and our general church activities. Uh, I'm praying that the Lord will use us in 2023 to do everything just a little better, a little more efficiently, a little more effectively. And these are a few of the the big events coming up this year that I want to let you know about so you can begin to think about how you can personally get involved in these things, whether it be financially or whether it be by volunteering your time, volunteering your help, your, your expertise, your talents, your gifts. These are ways that you can get involved. And we, I hope that every one of you, as you hear these things, we talk about the children's ministry, the teen ministry, the, the just general adult ministries, how you can be a part, how you can help. And one of the first major events of the year will be Greater Things Sunday. Raise your hand if last week you were able to go up to the gym and see the new bathrooms that mm-hmm. we were able, able yeah. to install this year. Beautiful bathrooms that were well overdue to be remodeled, built back in the 50s. And uh, Brother Evan and many of you in the church, I know, I I don't want to start naming people because so many of you helped as we demolished those bathrooms. And you helped with your your expertise and you guys helped us get that up to code, up to uh, make it look beautiful. We were able to use it this week. And that was just one of the things that Greater Things, that's one of our Greater Things projects that we had last year. And this year, our Greater Things will begin again in March 5th will be the kickoff Sunday for Greater Things, that we'll start announcing it. We'll, Castor will show us his vision of what in this specific property, or how can we best steward the buildings that we have? And what, what can we do to make them better, to make them more welcoming, to make them more effective for the ministry of the gospel? And I hope you'll be a part of that. And like Brother Carl said, our, our children's ministry is excited about that as well. Uh, after that, we have Easter Sunday. Easter is the biggest Sunday of the year for us at First Baptist, and we will have a lot going on. Every week leading up to, to uh, Easter in the month of March and April, we will have uh, canvassing. We want to blitz the whole city of Long Beach this year. And that we can't do that on our own. Just a couple staff members can't do that. We need you. We need Amen. your help. We want you 
to take a couple flyers, take tracts, take them to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends and family, and just leave them an invitation. Invite them to come to church. Invite them to come hear the Easter story here with us. And that is a, a vision that Pastor has for us this year, that, us as, that we as a church can get a tract to every door in Long Beach this year. And after that, we have our anniversary Sunday coming up in May, 129 years here in Long Beach. And it's a lot to celebrate, and we're excited to celebrate it with you. And then another big one we have is the couples retreat. That'll be in August. And I hope every one of you who were here last year are able to come and you enjoyed it. Tell your friends to come. Tell those in the church who weren't able to make it, hey, mark off these dates in the calendar. It'll be a great time together. And again, I hope each and every one of you, when you leave this room, you go out and get your booklet. It has a church calendar in there with just a couple big events. Take a look at that and really pray about it. And think about how God will have you be involved in attending and volunteering and giving and helping to make these events the most efficient, most again, most efficient and most effective for the gospel. Amen. How about a round of applause for these three men who do a great job facilitating these things for us. It's, it's a, a servant is responding with humility, but a servant is responding to the opportunities that's given to him, opportunities to serve. But that's just not, that's not it. There's, there's, there's a third tool I want you to see this morning. It's, it's not just that we need to respond with humility. It's not just that we need to realize who Jesus is. But third and last for this morning, we need to remember that God knows where we are even in our trials. We need to remember God knows where we are even in our trials. And I want you to see it in verse number one. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this next phrase. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. The 12 tribes scattered abroad identifies who James is writing to. So James has identified who Jesus is. James has reminded us who he is. And now James is telling us, here's who I'm writing to. I'm writing to those who have been scattered. And of course, we have to ask the question, well, why are they scattered abroad? Why are they not all together? Acts chapter 1, great persecution rose against the church that was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions. Acts 11, we're told, and they were scattered abroad upon the persecution throughout the region. So hundreds of thousands of Christians, of believers, were, were torn away from their friends, from their family, from their country, from their communities. They were hunted. They were hounded. They were chased. They, har they were harassed. And they endured great persecution as a result. And what they had to do was they had to run. They literally scattered, James said, every which way. But the reminder here is that God has not forgotten them. He wants to talk to those who were scattered because of suffering. They, they may be scattered throughout the world, but look here. They may be scattered throughout the world, but they were one with Christ. That God knows where they scattered to. God knows where they ran to. And 
What James helps us understand is that God has a, a tool that he wants to put into their belt in order to help them complete the work that he has for them. God never forsakes his people, even when they are being scattered. No matter where you're running to or what you're running from in 2023, God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. Instead, God, what we're seeing from James, God has a word for you. It doesn't intend for you to just navigate the circumstances of your life alone. We need to remember God knows where we are even in our trials. God never forsakes us. God never forgets us. God never leaves us. But there's a second thought under this, and I want you to write this down. God always has a people. God always has a people. That although these people may be scattered, look here, they're still his people. Although they may not be great in number, they're still his people. That, that although they may not have the, the position or, or the influence or the sway that they once had, they're still his people. Listen very closely. God always has a people. And of course, in today, this, this people of his is the gift of, of the local New Testament church. The most tangible way to sense God's love is to find a local New Testament church to commit to it, to serve in it, to give toward it, to love it like Christ loved us individually. The, the local New Testament church is the gift that God has given to us. The Bible helps us understand that, that the, the local church is the visible way that God has chosen to display and to declare and to defend the gospel in our world. First Timothy 3, first, first Ephesians chapter 3, First Timothy 3, 15, verse 16. The, the way that God has chosen to display the, the message of the gospel is through the local church. The, the local church is necessary in your life. It's not just the way that God has chosen to display the gospel. It's not just the way that God has chosen to declare the gospel. It's also necessary in your life as a believer. Did you know that there are commandments in the Bible that you cannot fulfill outside of a local church? You're commanded in the Bible to gather with God's people. You know what you need in order to gather with God's people? You need a church. You're commanded in the Bible to sing with God's people, Ephesians chapter 5. You know, you cannot do that if you're not at church. You're commanded in the Bible, 1 Timothy 15, or 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 18. You're commanded in the Bible to hold one another accountable. You cannot do that without the church. We're commanded to submit to one another in, first, in Hebrews chapter 13. You, you cannot do that without the church. We're commanded in 1 Corinthians 12. 13, 14, we're commanded to serve one another. These commandments are accomplished at and in a local church. We've all heard people say, well, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. That's like saying, Dave, 
I really like you, but I can't stand Amanda. You know why? Because you cannot love me, but hate my wife. Because my wife and I are one. You cannot say, I love God, but I hate the church. Do you know why? Because the Bible teaches us that the church is the bride of Christ. This is not to say that the church is always perfect. It's not to say that the church gets everything correct. We clearly don't. What it is to say is that the local New Testament church is the visible way in which God displays his love, God declares the gospel, God defends the faith, and God has commanded you and I to hold ourselves accountable to one another, to commit ourselves to one another, to serve one another, to invest in one another, to gather together with one another, and to sing with one another, so that when all of those around us look inside the window of First Baptist Church, they say, there's something different about you all than everybody else. And you know what that difference is? That difference is the Lord Jesus Christ. That difference is Jesus. The local church was made to serve us as Christians. And we as Christians are gifted in order to serve the church. So these men just a moment ago told us some ways corporately that we can serve one another. And, and I trust that you would find one of these fellows after the service in the lobby and inquire more about how you can serve. But, but I want you to notice this. It's not just serving corporately that, that we are regulated to. You know, it's also serving each other individually. I'm thankful for the way that the deacons of our church serve. The deacons of our church provide what we call widow care. Every deacon of our church is, is uh, assigned five, six, seven widows in our congregation. And every week, the deacon and his uh, wife, or, or every month rather, the deacon and his wife make some point of contact, visiting, writing a letter, taking a birthday gift, encouraging, motivating, calling, sitting. Many of our deacons take our widows to the hospital appointments that they have. They sit with them in the lobby. They wait for the appointments to get over. They deliver Christmas baskets and Thanksgiving gifts. They, they, they care. They care individually. They provide the hospitality for us. It's not just the deacons who do this. I, I'm thankful even this last week an, an individual member in this church called and asked how, how she could get a particular address of a person in our congregation whose name has been on our prayer list. I, I inquired, well, why do you want, this, why do you want the, the address for this, for this lady who's been, who's, been, uh, who's been on our prayer list for quite some time? And, and, the, and the lady responds back because, because I, I feel as if one of my ministries can be to write a letter of encouragement to these ladies who are sick and who are shut in and who can't get out and let them know that they are not forgotten and that they are loved. This is an individual member in the church who's not sitting around waiting for some corporate action of service. But this is an individual lady who's listening to the spirit of the Lord prompt her heart and say, care and give and serve. This is the gift of the local New Testament church. And just hopes of being an encouragement to someone. 
That God remembers where we are. He knows. He is not forgotten. And he is, always has a people. He always has a people. And I'm asking you this morning, you stand at the start of 2023, what tools do you need to put in your tool belt? Do we have difficulties we face in this life? Of course. Of course. But God has not left us to navigate these difficulties alone. We need to remember who he is. We, we need to remember to respond with humility. This is who we are. We're servants. And we need to remember that there are others around us who are scattered and who are hurting and who are fearful and who need someone to offer them some encouragement and love just the same.